right, welcome into the Sunday recap. Ladies and gentlemen, all three of us are back. Hey, we're here in the oh. house. Welcome back, Mitch and Ariel. What's up? How's it going? Well, I just looked over and Mitch is drinking out of this coffee cup from 94. Yeah. I mean, it's got our CSC. The Church at Stones Crossing, which is our official legal name. So oh, right, yeah, I totally. didn't know that. It's yeah. on the illegal. Oh, it's on the legal docs. That? Yeah, yeah, that's the legal name of our church. Okay, pop quiz. Do you guys know the original name of our church? It wasn't yeah. the Church at Stones Crossing or Stones you know? Crossing Church. Do you know what it was? Um, I think I know. Look, but there's grace for you if you don't know this answer. <laughs> oh, Mitch, <laughs> giving it away. It involves grace, but I don't know the full thing. Go ahead and say what, it. Was it Grace Fellowship? Grace Fellowship. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Back when it started. So actually, this is crazy. So I was going through um, our back store closet, which is just the collector of all things that we don't need <laughs> next time you go back the there. The one back in the house. It really yeah. is. It's like <laughs> yeah. an opera house we should give. We should give tours. So I, went, <laughs> I was going back there a couple weeks ago for middle school camp, and I was like, I just didn't even think about, oh, you need a first aid kit. Again, I'm back to the game. So... It's Sunday. We leave Monday. I'm like, man, I got to put a first aid kit together. Let's start with what we got. And our first aid kit, one of them, there was like 30, but <laughs> one of them, the container on the top of it was like an art box and it said Grace Fellowship. Nice. I'm like, so this, this box is like 30, 20, yeah, 25 years 25 old. 25 years old. It's original. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Collector's That's cool. item. That's cool. Nice. So uh, you guys, this is summer. We're right in the dead of the middle of summer here. There's um, all kinds of stuff going on, camps and vacations and stuff. I want to ask this because we, we don't really have a big thing to announce this week. I just thought we would talk about this. So Don't tell them. We'll, well just let them find well, out. Well, there's a lot going on, but <laughs> we're just set it up. Um, <laughs> what... What uh, what are you guys looking forward to the most this summer? What what's the gonna, what's really the highlight for your summer so mm. far, or what are you looking forward to? Textbook, Chris. You see, see the question that you, we were told we were going to be asked was, "What was our favorite part so far of summer?" Oh, sure. And then we jump no, into I'm, what do we look forward I'm to? Gonna, I'm going to blow the whole thing open. <laughs> what what is going to be the best part of your summer? Here we are in the middle of it. Let's go. Well, I I tend to think that the best part is something that's coming up. And so, <laughs> and then it's so and disappointing. It <laughs> so, I mean, man, we leave for high school camp next week. Yeah. I think it's going to be a stinking good time. Nice. So I'm excited tell, for that. Tell us about the bus. I want to oh, know, yeah, I wanna yeah, know yeah, about yeah, the bus yeah, trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, um, back in the student ministry game, you know, the first couple months, I just avoided looking at the budget, you know, <laughs> just, I'm like, we'll, fig- As a good student we'll pastor figure it out later. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I might have upgraded our bus to a double decker. <laughs> so nice. we got a double decker bus taking us down to camp. It's got tables so you can like play games together. And man, I, yeah, it's pretty awesome. That's cool. It takes me back to, and when I was in youth group, we actually used the same kind of bus to go to camp. Yeah. That's so, amazing. I've so ridden fun. in a limo several times, but never a double decker bus. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. It's going to be pretty cool. That's, That's awesome. Cool. That's awesome. Next level. Ariel, what do you got for this summer? What, what, I know you went on vacation. Yeah. Yeah, vacation then, was a highlight. I mean, I, yeah. obviously, this is the first time I've ever sat. Where'd you go again? We went down to uh, 30A. Uh, it's a stretch of highway in um, near Pensacola, Florida, like oh, in the, okay, cool. the panhandle. Um, and yeah, so that, that's the first time I've ever been on vacation recently where I didn't have a class to study for. Yeah. So I didn't do anything. <laughs> I sat on the beach. It was it was great. But um yeah, I think that I think family time is really my my most excited, most anticipated things for the summer. Mm. Just more opportunities to be with my boys. So I got these tie dye kits. Yeah, 
I have all all three boys. I have boys. Um, and I got I got like black and blue, thinking that these are colors they'd wanted to use. Sure. And so every time I ask them, boys, you want to go tie dye? We're gonna tie dye socks. They're like, yeah, in a minute. <laughs> I'll be there in a minute, and then they never come. <laughs> so That's obviously tough. they don't want to tie dye with me. But maybe maybe I'll like borrow somebody's girls for the week, and we'll go. There you tie-dye. go. You, I, my, my girls would love it. I think so. A couple so, of years yeah. ago, we we bought plain white student shirts and we tie dyed all. Yeah, yeah, and it was a hit. Yeah, I actually That's still awesome. have mine, but when I wear it around, I I feel like people are judging you. Yeah, I really <laughs> That's it's, right. Because Mackenzie was totally into yes, tie dye. Yes, right. she I was. That. Yeah, we did. We, she made us in the office do tie dye. Everyone Thursdays. did tie dye. Yeah, there is a certain element of like it, it dates you back a few years when you mm-hmm. wear tie dye. Well, and I cut the sleeves off of it now. Nice. <laughs> so then we might, really better. judge you. You might be see like, some photos guns. of me at middle yeah. school camp. We got to cut the collar to a nice deep V. That'd yeah. be perfect. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it is a and it's a very extravagant tie dye. It's oh, not black man. and blue. Oh man, <laughs> we've barely started, and my mascara is almost gone. You guys <laughs> just, just well, reunited. That's why we don't shoot these in HD. That's right. <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, for us, we are planning to go down to Florida at the end of uh, July, which is going to be nice and warm down there at that point. Yeah. But um, actually, I'm really looking forward to it. And it'll be just great family time, lots of things to do with our family. And we haven't really taken a vacation l- like this That's ever. Cool. So we're yeah. excited about that. So what does is, what is Chris McLaughlin do on the beach? What do I do? Yeah, yeah which I try to I try to get the sand off of me. I was going to ask. It's probably like, which books does he take to the beach? No, no. Well, okay. I actually really love swimming. Oh, um, yeah. And I really love. He'll just tread water for six <laughs> I'll just, I'll, just I'll, I'll swim out there like two miles out and just tread water for a while. No. Um, I, I, <laughs> what I, what I actually really love is, um, I, I miss going boogie boarding. It's, that was that so, so fun. fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I hope I get a chance to do that, uh, when we're out there. So that'll be, that'll be fun. Maybe I could teach my girls how to go boogie boarding. They would love it. Well, we are uh, going to be talking about living in the overflow. This is, uh, like I said, this is, um, the seventh sermon in this series that Scott has done on Psalm 23. And um, after this, actually, we're going to take a break from this uh, Living in the Overflow series. We're going to come back to it later in the year uh, and finish out Psalm 23. But uh, in this particular one, Pastor Scott focused on verse five, which is the verse that says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So there was a lot to unpack in that in that verse, because there's there's actually a lot of um, which I really appreciated what he did, but he he brought a lot of historical context back mm-hmm. into those um, those ideas of anointing my head with oil, the, the the refreshing that takes place with that, and and actually welcoming a guest into your home and things like that, and then my cup overflows and how that mm-hmm. that I'd never heard that before. Mm-hmm. The, the whole thing about like this is what you would do for like a weary traveler coming in, and if the cup was overflowing, that means. I, I actually like you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I might need to start introducing that. I think practice. so too. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, everyone that comes over, it's like you just get a quarter. Of a <laughs> that would be you. <laughs> that would be me. Yeah. Yep, it's time for you to go. Yeah, that's right. There you go. So, um, actually, you know what it reminded me of is: Did you ever see the original Disney Winnie the Pooh movie? Yes. Mm, yeah. Maybe. So, Rabbit does that to Winnie the Pooh. At yes. one point, he's like, he wants like some honey, so he's like. 
bloop, gives him like a little tiny bed. (laughs) And Winnie the Pooh complains. Anyway, well, one of the things that Scott talked about here at the beginning, which before he even got to the sermon, you guys, he got into this thing about how our church is kind of being uh, sort of known now for actually preaching the word of God. Yeah, so much that it's on the comment cards. I know. (laughs) Do you get that on comment cards? I have, um, I have not. So okay. I'm curious who has who wrote that to Scott. To Scott. Or whatever. That's yeah. interesting. So what's what's funny about this is, I, I so I've actually heard this that like we've had people come to our church from other churches, and they've said like, man, I've just really wanting you know biblical preaching. I want to open our Bible, and I was so happy to see Bibles in in the seats, and that yeah. we're asked to open our Bible and stand to read the Word and things like that, mm-hmm. and and what that all actually means, and so. Um, so I, I guess what I, I want to talk about first here, it, it just is just in unpacking this, is this phenomenon that happens when we don't have the word of God as our authority. Then what is it? Because he talked about that we will fill it with something else. And in, in the, theological terms, we call this parasitic substitution. We substitute uh, this authority with all kinds of other things. And I mean, I guess what I'm just sort of wondering is, what do churches substitute with when it when it comes to this sort of stuff? And how does that end up detracting from, how does that end up actually hurting people in their faith down the road? Mm-hmm. Well, Scott mentioned this, they they fill it with with man, with manly wisdom, with human wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Mustaches. Yeah, <laughs> mustaches and beards. But they do, they talk about... Um, they usually will use like inspirational quotes or things like that just to build people up. And, um, I mean, that's, that's helpful for illustrations, but it isn't the truth. And, um, I think what Scott was getting to is that it's not transcendent. And we've brought that up several times here on the, on the podcast, how, um, truly what people need is something that's beyond themselves. And so, um, when we gather as the body, we need to be fed the truth of the transcendent word. And if we're not, then we're just feasting on, on snack food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, again, I even wrestle with this in prepping as a preacher, but I think it's just what what I think happens most often is where are you starting with your message? Are you trying to think about, I want to deliver a message that accomplishes the church doing the thing that I want them to do, and then I'm going to find scripture that supports my position, or are you going to start with scripture and then you know present what the scripture says to the congregation, which yeah. you may be able to draw out the truth in scripture by presenting some you know lessons from the world or examples or stories and things. Sure. And I, I think it's always like one of those two dichotomies, but it goes. I mean, again, and you know, it's it's all over the place. Yeah. And you know, I've I've seen. I mean, I remember watching a sermon where a preacher's like dribbling a basketball for 45 minutes and shooting mm-hmm. hoops and they made the whole stage like a full basketball court and, you know, and like there probably could be a way to do that that's God honoring. I don't think it was in this case, but like, yeah. you know, I think, I think again, it's just this tendency to say as a pastor, you come to a position where you're like, I want to see my church do blank and I'm going to do whatever I can to accomplish that. Yeah. Rather than saying I'm going to look to the Word of God, which is why I love I love that so many of our series are just built around passages of Scripture. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. Really, all of them, at some sense, because it helps us to say like we're going to teach what the text says. Right. Versus saying I want to see our church do this, and and I've I've just seen I've I've seen you know people say things like oh we need to get more people in second service, so we're going <laughs> to do a whole sermon around commitment to the church and adjustment, you know, or something. It's just, yeah, yeah. and so we just have to be, you know, I think as pastors, we just have to be careful. And, and it's funny, you know, when you talk about 
people saying the Bible's in the seats. Mm -hmm. I remember when I first came here and I was kind of on like a little bit of a personal transition myself, you know, kind of stuck between two church models and working it out. And I remember being in um, one of our staff meetings and we were putting up like our goals for the year, like our big goals. And one of them was pew Bibles. Oh yeah. And at the time, I'll be honest, I thought, wow, we don't dream very big. Like, like I was no seriously, like I was like, we just go out and buy some Bibles check, Yeah, you know, and like, I didn't think of it as a big deal, Yeah, but I will say now, even when I'm in there with middle schoolers, like there is, there is something, um, to helping our church navigate the Bible being right there in front of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like turning them literally to the scripture, not even just something that's on the screen. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I firmly believe in it. But I would have just even not thought of it as something it's, that affected that so it's much. It's such a little thing, and those but those little things speak volumes about what we believe mm-hmm. about Scripture and 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 its authority. And I think I think those are those are those little things that then help our congregation to see wait like actually this this book is transcendent. It does hold authority, and it's something that I need to hold as authority in my life as well. And, yeah. and so it, the way that we treat it and respect it, um, I think, is part of it. It almost becomes like a culture. Uh, within our church about mm-hmm. that sort of thing, which I really appreciate. I, yeah. I, I think it's actually a very good thing for us. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but we're probably preaching to the choir here on that one, but, but I just thought it was really interesting. Um, Scott was, as he was getting into his sermon, he was talking about the very core of sin. So like um, talking about how ultimately what's going on in, in any sin uh, is that there is a decision that's being made ultimately that God is not good. Right, that that that, uh, and this he went back right back to the fall that the the serpent was de- trying to deceive Eve in that moment, and does so by trying to convince her that um, that God is holding out on her, that mm-hmm. God, you know, he wants, uh, you know, he knows that if she eats from this fruit of this tree, that she will become like God, and so he. He's jealous of that. He's holding back on you. And so he's really not good at the core of it. And so he he mentioned that the core sin isn't what some people may believe would maybe pride, mm-hmm. but he said that it was unbelief. Why is why is unbelief at the very heart of our of all of our sin? And how does that actually help us then to fight sin when we're in the midst mm-hmm. of it? Maybe let's unpack the first one first there. What, why, why is this the core of our sin? I don't know. I'm torn because I would, I would go back to the James passage that we looked at earlier and, and read through that uh, again. We looked at James 1, uh, and it looks like 14 through 15. Mm-hmm. Um, but it talks about that each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. And so when I think about the garden, it seems that it seems that Eve had a desire for something that she believed that she didn't have. And so then I think that leads to the disbelief that God would provide that thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Jesus said, you know, you, you do not have because you do not ask. Yeah. Um, knowing that truly everything that we, we need comes from, um, comes from above. So um, I, th- I think it's wrapped together, but I'm, I'm curious about the order. Okay. I'm not yeah. sure. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm quite there yet. Sure. I think it's a step away from the desire. Yeah. 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 I, I was just. I was just trying to think through it. You know, practically, and I think. I think it is, for me, 
you know, uh, not just for me, but my, my idea on, not my, even just my idea, your perspective, on <laughs> the it. biblical perspective, yeah, I yeah. believe is, yeah, yeah. um, again, I think when we sin, it is denying, it's denying what God has laid out for us. And so we're choosing, we're choosing in belief in some sense to act on something to say that we're going to choose our path versus God's. Right. Um, we're going to choose to put our self first in this decision when God has clearly laid it out for us. Right. And, 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 and really quick too, that could yeah. be one of two ways. It could be pursuing something that God forbids, mm-hmm. but it also could be pursuing something that God wants to give you, but doing it in your own way. Yes. Right. Yeah. And so, so I think it is denying, it is, de- it is, it is refusing to trust in God mm-hmm. is what it is. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, that is, that is unbelief at its core yeah. is when we say, I'm not trusting in God for this. I'm going to trust in this thing instead in yeah. this moment, or I'm going to trust in myself. And and I think that is what we, what we do when we sin. Now on the surface, it may not feel that way, but that's because we may not um, always peel back those layers <laughs> in our decisions. <laughs> you know, we might just go, Nope, I want this thing. I'm going to go do it now. Right. Instead of actually recognizing by doing this act, what are we committing to and what is, and why would God not desire for us to do this? Yeah. You know, and I, I think I, so practically speaking, I can see where it is a denial of God choosing not to trust in him. And therefore it's an act out of unbelief. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what I was thinking about too was the Exodus. So like the wandering in the wilderness is a picture of sort of mm-hmm. really our sanctification. It, it's a picture of um, struggling with sin, learning to trust God, depend on him daily for provision, and that he, everything that we have that is good actually comes from him. Mm-hmm. He's the one that leads us, guides us, provides for us, right? He, he's doing all that stuff, fights for us, all that stuff. Um, and so when you get to Hebrews chapter 3, this is Hebrews 3.16. So he says, um, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left e- Egypt and led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief, is what it says. Mm-hmm. And so so what the author of Hebrews is getting to here is the the sin of those people, the reason why they've they fell in the wilderness and were not able to enter the the promised land, the rest, is because of their unbelief. And I think that's a that's a picture for us of we really do have um I mean a responsibility, a choice to make mm-hmm. in the way that we respond in in this life. Um we have a um you know, by God's grace, he helps us to respond rightly, but it's really a difference between are we gonna trust him for his leading, his provision, that he's going to fight for us? Are we going to trust him for those things, or are we going to try to go after those things ourselves? Mm-hmm. And um, so, and I think yeah. that's part of, even to bring it back to the passage, that's the part of the leaning into the God's pre- preparation. Yeah. You know, the God preparing you, <laughs> and yeah. preparing this for you, you know, and, and that recognition that, that God, we can trust in God in this because God is in control. Mm-hmm. But if we choose not to trust in God, then we're denying in some sense, our belief that he's in control of whatever we're dealing with. Right. So I think this actually becomes incredibly helpful to us when we're wrestling with sin, right? So, so when we're dealing with a sin struggle, the question that we need to really stop ourselves and come back and ask is what is it that I'm not believing mm-hmm. right now? What am I not trusting God for right now? You know, that if we were to able to kind of have some, some conscious awareness at that point, we could stop and we could say like, okay, 
I have this strong desire towards this sin, whatever, whatever mm-hmm. this is. And to stop and say, why is that? And then what is it that I, why do I want that so much? And why is it that, uh, or what is it that I'm not trusting God that he's going to provide and fill that need? Yeah. And I, I don't want us to sit on this for too long, but yeah. you guys did a really good job last week. You were talking about like individual sin versus mm-hmm. even like I'm, some people call it like, fam- like, like family sin, you know, whatever you want to, you're kind of giving the picture between those two. And I think sometimes even with sin, we don't do enough work at pulling back the layers on why, why are we wrestling with the thing that we're wrestling with? Yeah. And I think that's when it becomes a matter of unbelief. So some people would just say, well, you know, I have a tendency to be drawn towards, you know, um, I, I, I'm going to choose one that's a little dicey, but you know, I, I have a tendency to be drawn towards anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so they would say, that's just who I am at my core. And you, they, but they never really say, okay, but in your decision-making, in your process, why is that something that's so closely knitted to who you believe who you are? Yeah. And are you peeling back the layers to recognize how that became something that you're dealing with? Sure. Now I'm not denying, you know, I'm not denying that that's a real struggle for many people. Yeah. That's something that's very Like a predisposition towards it or something. I'm just saying, but are we pulling back those layers or are we just saying, you know, often this is me, this is who I am. And we're just choosing to deny God and our trust in him in that because we're just saying this is who we are. Yeah, it makes it an excuse to to allow that sin to continue and perpetuate it. And you can do that versus, with anything. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Anything. Absolutely. So verse 5 of Psalm 23 uh, what he does here, he says, um, you know, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And so what he's doing here, um, he, what Scott did was he he broke down basically three things to, that we can kind of see in this, that God's goodness is revealed to us here. Um, there's ways that God's goodness is concealed. And then God's goodness is realized in our life through through these certain things. And so when we look at the first one, God's goodness being revealed, he did a breakdown of verse five and he kind of walked through that just like almost word by word in some ways, kind of adding a little bit to it, how God, he's the one who's the host. And um, this is a planned out feast, not something that was done in haste, um, that it was for us. Like you prepare a table before me. Um, and that's um, that's significant that, that here is, the Lord, the King of the universe, who's doing that for us and, and all of that, um, that this is a public gathering, not a private gathering, um, that, and he talks about this anointing, this receiving and refreshing the one who is loved and the cup and all that stuff that we talked about already. Um, how did that whole thing land on you when it came to like, just kind of seeing this verse being unpacked in that way? It almost seemed like he he taught and preached this week, and I really appreciated just kind of the walkthrough of each phrase and mm-hmm. um, its significance because we know that every word is um, is there for a reason. So mm. I enjoyed I enjoyed hearing a little bit of the um, uh, the interpretation for each phrase. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. It was good. It painted a bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Yes, it definitely did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I just just reflecting on the words, you know for God to prepare something for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then anoint, anointing, it's t- talking physically about anointing the head with oil, but there's probably not a greater word that's used when we talk about like God's, um, God's presence and God physically, um, 
like working something out for us yeah. than anointing. It's his, <laughs> yeah. his favor. Yeah, his and favor I, comes to mind. Yeah, well, so that that's what actually I think hit me the most with this this week was it, it isn't, sometimes I feel like, you know, our, our salvation and everything is something, it, it almost, I don't want to say transactional is the right is the right word, but it but it feels very mechanical mm-hmm. in the sense of like, okay, you know, you have faith in Jesus and then and then you're saved, mm-hmm. you know, and so there's this mechanical thing. But the relationship at the core of it is that God not only loves you, but He actually likes you. Mm-hmm. And for some yeah. reason, that has somewhat of a different meaning and significance to it for me. Um, like I, I I feel like I don't know if you guys relate to this. I feel like there's people in my life who love me. And they, they love me because there's a, you know, sort of a need for that, that relationship, that kind of love within that relationship, but they don't necessarily like me all the time, if that makes sense. (laughs) But here we have a situation where God is basically saying, wow, not only do I love you, but I actually like you. And I, and I have that, this favor, like you said, um, that, that is on you and, Mm -hmm. and. That, that God is doing this for me. And I think so. that um, as a parent, I, I've thought through this a few times where I wonder if I'm showing my children that I delight in them. Yeah, that's, and, that's a good in word. In the way that God does delight in us. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's like you said, not only is there this love here that is, is I mean, it, it's there because it needs to be, it's a need, but then there's this extra piece of just the delight and the joy that is in the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the second thing I was thinking about is he, he taught, you know, talking about King David, you know, and just not only would, would David be presenting, you know, as Scott said, the picture of a king's table, but mm-hmm. even greater than that, you have a king who is in great authority with a lot of power, a lot of position representing that God has prepared the table for him mm-hmm. yeah. and that God has anointed his head with oil. And, and I don't think it's, it's, it's in a way that's giving God the credit, yeah. not in a way that's trying to gain more authority by came, claiming God's, you know, anointing. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think we need to recognize that because that's, that's pretty unheard of in, you know, the different monarchies of the world. Like oh, the yeah. tone, they may reference God, but it's more to claim more authority. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that God's the one that's actually doing the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of the great recognition here that even the king, you know, is saying, God has prepared this right. for me. And God is the one who did the preparing. And God's the one who's anointing this. Mm-hmm. It's not It's not by my own work. It's such a bigger picture of grace mm-hmm. in that way. I'm like, I, it's, mm-hmm. it's mind-blowing to think through. Oh, man, yeah. And you think about the backstory of David being plucked out of a big band of brothers, you know, and he was the weakly-looking mm-hmm. one and the unlikely one. Yeah. And, uh, and turned out to be the one that, that God showed favor on. Yeah. Um, I mean, that is a story of grace. Right. I just, that's a great picture of him realizing that throughout his life. And, and I think we all, it. we all recognize that at some point, you know, it's like, I even have, I have the picture in my mind of you got all these, you know, all these different tables throughout Israel, <laughs> you know, but uh-huh. it's like you go down to like the nicest of nicest of table down to just the most simple table mm-hmm. and you've got people there and you can, and then, then we can take that in our context and, you know, for families that still eat around the table together, <laughs> it's like, there's often a time where you look around and you go, yeah, this, this wasn't, I did not, could not have chosen this path on my own, but there's nothing I would change about it. Mm-hmm. That God prepared this path for me mm-hmm. with these people and these things at this time in this place. Yeah. What's interesting too is that at, at this point he brings up this idea of enemies, and the enemies yeah. in this what he's what he did was he he said you know God's goodness um, 
our enemies are trying to conceal God's goodness from us. And so he unpacked who are our enemies. And he, and he did give us three different enemies. That There's the world itself, uh, and this really represents all people who are in rebellion against God, that there's Satan, um, and then there's our own sinful nature, which sometimes we like to ignore or downplay. But looking at the world really quick, um, this was, I think, just fascinating and something that, that we've talked about um, at, at times, but this idea that anybody who is um, against God is really going to also be against Christians, God's people, you know? And so there's really a true dichotomy in the world between, uh, like, and tension in the world between God's people and non-Christians. Um, how does this play out um, in, in real time, in real life? So I, I have like two thoughts in my head. One, one, it was a little bit, and uh, I'm gonna draw upon our conversation we were having a little mm-hmm. bit earlier. Um, but you know, I find myself so often that my um, those I should not define anybody as an enemy, mm-hmm. but those that I'm having strife with and I'm having tough relations with relation, relation, relationships with mm-hmm. are often those that are inside the church. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. so one thing I think I need to remind myself in this is that those people are not my enemy. Yeah. Um, and that our true unity should be founded on Christ. Right. And I think we have a tendency to um, create um, dividing lines off of things that are not those who are inside of Christ and those who are, who are outside. Yeah. Um, we make the lines politics, beliefs, ideas, thing, all sorts of things, homeschool yeah. versus public, whatever you want to make it. We make these lines and these barriers that we probably need to recognize that these are the people that we should be in deepest relationship with mm-hmm. um, in the world, not even more so with those who are outside. That's the, that's the first thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, and on that too, hold your other thought, yeah. because I think a lot of times what we do is we end up, it comes down to an identity issue mm-hmm. where we're making those minor things the greater thing, right? Mm-hmm. We're making those minor little bits about who we are and the decisions that we've made and the way that we believe about things. We've made that our identity markers rather than being unified under the identity that we have in Christ. Mm-hmm. So, so the identity issue becomes, so, so again, if it's, you know, uh, homeschooling versus public school, or if yeah. it's, or if it's, you know, vaxxer versus anti-vaxxer or a political line or things like that, we're elevating those issues as being greater identity issues than our, our greater identity than, than our, 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 our faith and, and, uh, who we are in Christ. And that's problematic. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. definitely problematic. And we need to work towards unity. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the, that's the thing that I, I guess I would remind myself out of this is that mm-hmm. I mean, I should be so unified with other believers, but often I have strife with them. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the people that, that are there for me. And, and sometimes I think I make unity like a secondary thing to being right, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and yeah. I think unity needs to at a minimum be right up there with trying to be right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's the first thing. The second thing I was saying, you know, there are, but I can also think of situations where um, we have to recognize that those outside the church are not always going to be, um, they're not going to want to see the churches, the church thrive or the church's benefit. And, mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've even had some recent conversations with Luke Calvert as he's moved to New York and obviously he's facing this in great opposition there, but there are ideas around Christianity in the church that people just do not want to see it work in the healthiest form. Yeah. Um, they just, they don't want to see it thrive. Yeah. Um, and we may, you know, be at some level blessed in a context where that's not always the case. Right. But we do need to recognize that we're not always going to be able to agree with the world mm-hmm. and right. the position 
that they're taking. And there may be times where we have to draw lines and say, we're going to hold to the biblical position over what's happening in the world. And so I would say that's a, that's a two, it's like be unified with your brothers and sisters in Christ and recognize that there are, it's going to happen and it is happening in your life situations where we have to recognize that the world um, is, does not want to see the thriving of the church. That's right. And I think actually, you know, what's interesting about that. Um, I think that scripture actually identifies that, um, that tension as actually a blessing to us. Um, so when we go back to the fall in Genesis chapter three, and you see when God curses the serpent, one of the things that he does is he says, I'm going to put enmity between, um, between the, 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 the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, right? Your, your offspring and her offspring. And what that is, is what it's really the beginning of, because the very next chapter, you actually get to see two genealogies that take place. You see a genealogy of the serpent from the line of Cain and a genealogy of the woman who is in the line of Seth. And from those two genealogies, you see a direct, um, they just go in total opposite directions, right? Mm -hmm. They, they kind of go way in different directions. And, um, right from the get-go there is enmity between those two and this is something that you see all through scripture um this enmity that is between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman all the way to you get to like first john and and i mean really what what it comes down to this is first john chapter two but he talks about how really there's only two kind of people in the world there's there's uh the christians and the non-christians and and those two there's tension there now why is it a blessing because if that enmity was not there we would want to identify ourselves with the world in 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 ways that would be unhealthy for us as yes. christians and so this enmity is actually helpful to us in 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 helping to preserve our to preserve us and preserve our mm -hmm. faith yeah i actually was just listening to some friends of mine that, that they've recently planted a church and they're they were talking about how you know one of the things as a church they're talking about dreams for their church is they want to work they don't they want they don't necessarily want to work to be countercultural, but they want to be countercultural mm -hmm. in the sense that, like, as you look at the church in Acts, you know, people were curious about the church not because they aligned with the things that they believed, but because they were so different. Yeah, and that's why people were interested in stepping into the church. We have a tendency today in the church to say, well, how can we be so attractive to culture to talk about the things they want us to talk about, to look the ways they want, to focus on the things, which Scott brought up, you know, like there are churches, you know, that they may be, you know, not fully committed to scripture. So they'll be 100% their entire missions on social justice, mm -hmm. you know, or their entire missions on creativity or whatever, you know, whatever you want to come with, but it's not, you know, grounded on the word of God. Right. And when we do that, we think we're going to be attracting more people in, but really what the history of the church has shown is that when the church is countercultural, people are actually more drawn to the church yeah, because it looks different. It's different. Mm -hmm. And that's really the attractiveness for, that you see in Acts 2.42. Yes, right? Acts, Acts is the picture of it. Like two yeah. through five, you see that over and over again, that yep. the church just looks different. And, mm -hmm. so, and they had the favor of all the people. Yep. Yeah. I wanted to back up for a second on the enemy conversation mm. and, yeah. and get to individuals because I think this would be really easy for us to go, okay, so Christians bunker down and yeah. don't interact right. with the world. Right. Um, and so I think we've I think we've done that enough. It's it's a good it's a good thing to be among the world, but not of the world. And so um, when we think about individuals, not everyone is going to be an enemy forever. Mm -hmm. um, and we need to know that we don't know the status of their of their salvation. And so um, 
as when it comes to individuals, we should always be on mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully they won't be an enemy forever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's something, you know, I saw, I had a friend post something about this recently, but the call to love your neighbor and to be there for them withstands whatever, you know, position you take on how they're living and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Like, like mm-hmm. your front is love regardless, uh-huh. but we have a tendency to go, nope, avoidance because we recognize that they're enemies. So I think that's a great, a really necessary reminder for us, you know, yeah. how are you representing Christ to those that are your enemy? Right. Yeah. You know, right. That's really good. I mean, realizing that we were once the enemy. Absolutely. Yes. Every single one Preach. of us. Let's go. <laughs> Gospel, here it comes. Here it comes. Yeah. But it's true because honestly, we are we are all deserving of the wrath of God and, and some of us have been unified to Christ and amen that mm-hmm. we get to that we get to have that cover us. Um, and so we want that for others. So individuals, we're always on mission. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah. Truth. That's so good. Let's, um, we're, we're, we're getting to run out of time, but however, I do want to get to a couple of things here, but let's talk about, um, let's just talk about our sinful nature because he talked about Satan as being an enemy, but I want to, I want to actually dig into our sinful nature a little bit more. Cause I think sometimes this is the one that we ignore. We ignore the idea that we have an inherent desire to sin and a propensity towards sin. We are bent towards sin in every way. Um, and we don't like to think about that as being mm-hmm. part of part, part of a um as an enemy itself but you look at like Romans 7 and he he brought up Romans 7 Scott brought up Romans 7 in the in the sermon and how Paul just cries out he's just like wretched man that I am mm-hmm. right who will deliver me from this body of death but praise be to the Lord Jesus Christ so how do we help ourselves to kind of get to this place of like being more aware of our of our are bent towards sinfulness and, 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 and actually to just view that as part of the enemy that we're fighting against. So I feel like this is the week where I keep acting like I'm quoting and reading all these things. It's just cause I was on vacation for a week. So <laughs> yeah. please keep that. I'm not like this well read, but I was, I was reading an article last week and it was by an author um, talking about another Christian author um, and their and their style of writing and what they're writing for. And I was really conflicted with this wrestling um, in there's this desire for us to thrive and have Christ at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, our personal thriving almost yeah. rivals yeah. Um, our desire to be committed to Christ. And I'm not saying that, like, we just choose sacrifice for the sake of sacrifice, but I think we need to remind ourselves to look at what the first century audience and what the Christians were going through and what commitment to Christ looked like. Mm-hmm. And it was constant laying down of the self, mm-hmm. laying down their personal desires, um, it was constant commitment to sacrifice for others, mm-hmm. um, physical sacrifice, um, and well, and especially because they were in a cu- cultural context that did not um, uh, allow Christianity. Yes. So, so sacrifice—if you were convicted of that—sacrifice was at the very heart of what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And so, I think we need to be careful individually at, when we relate to Christ um, in in our lives, very practically speaking, and we say, you know, this is what God's calling me to. This is what I'm seeking. Um, we're going to be at attention to to always try to have our own self-betterment, self-fulfillment in there at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is every person. I'm not just talking like, you know, to you. I'm talking for me. You know, as I think about ministry and positions and things that I'm doing, there's always the tension to say, how can I make m- 
as much of myself and be committed to Christ at the same time? Right. Or how can I mask my commitment to Christ by making much of myself? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we just have to be so careful of that. And so, and, and, and frankly, I'll say it as the non-female, um, I, I think, um, I'm not a female. <laughs> well, I'll say it as one of, <laughs> one of the two non-females because, um, I, I think we see this a lot in Christian literature for, um, for women. Um, and I think it's careful. And I'm not saying all of these writings are bad. I'm not, I'm, I'm there's probably good components to them. Yeah, give us an example. Well, I, I don't have, I don't, I don't read the books and I I'm don't, not saying you have to call out an author. I just want to, I want to like a practical example. Yeah. Um, so you can, um, self-sacrifice for others mm-hmm. means, means putting yourself second. It doesn't mean f- completely denying your needs to the point of death, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of literature out there, um, for, it may mean denying your needs to the point of death, but there's a lot of literature out there, um, for a mother to say, you know, you need to make, you need to make sure you carve out your you time for you. And then you need to do that at the point of which you may deny your ability to take care of others. And um, again, that's not saying that's actually bad at its core, but it's not necessarily the primary um, goal of the Christian faith. So it sounds mm-hmm. like that they're making that the primary goal of the woman's life. Human flourishing. So that mm-hmm. every everything that she does pours out of the self-care. Yes. So it's really from herself. Rather yes. than from Christ, it's it's about fulfilling fulfilling the needs. So I've seen this to the point of man, my generation. We all love to write. We all love to blog. We all love to be on podcast. I'm on one right now. I mm. like it. But the desire to gain your own audience, <laughs> you know, sure. maybe masked as your desire to preach Christ. Yeah, you know, and so we see this time and time again, and we see it with church planters. Your desire to plant a church may be to have an audience, mm-hmm. and at any point, I think, and I'm not calling those people out. What I'm saying is we all have something at our core that we have to recognize that if we're not living for Christ out of a position of self, self-sacrifice and commitment to him, mm-hmm. where our desire is to... And dependence on him. Yeah, dependence on God to sit before him and to know him more, mm-hmm. and these other lesser things become our gods and become our idols, um, they'll burn us one day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that's, I think, uh, that's the tension I guess I'm calling out. I think okay. what I appreciate about what you're saying here is how subtle the... Um, the enemy within us can be mm-hmm. right because it could seem like we're doing such good things, um, and and yet at the same time the motivation behind it is going to be then fueled by our own um, sinful nature, our sinful. Flesh. And it may be unfair for me to talk from the mother's position, so I could completely hear that. So so like I don't know what it's like to be a mom. No, I think anytime we were we're just calling out what the culture's doing, yeah. I think it's great. And honestly, that's a truth. There there's so much literature out there. Why? Because women read a lot, mm-hmm, and um, and so. But we, I think we see it in. Well, another example for men would be when the, the man is like, you know what, I'm going to work from, you know, 6 a.m. till 7, 8 p.m. every day to provide for my family. And mm-hmm. this is so that my kids can have a great life when really what your kids need is you, mm-hmm. you know, need your kids at home. You need to be at home and be spending some time with That's them. True. And you just yeah. never see your kids. You're just working and you're justifying it in your mind because you're like, hey, um, I, I, I'm providing for my family. Which well, is what God's called me to, but... It may be much yeah. yourself. You may be avoiding things. I think, again, yeah. it's so nuanced, but it's just this recognition that full commitment to God doesn't probably look like um, our our human flourishing <laughs> yes. all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's what we have to recognize, that it's mm-hmm. taking a posture of sacrifice 
um, towards others, towards the things and the desires of our heart, laying those things down right. and walking with Christ. That That is part of walking in the fullness. The fullness yeah. isn't, isn't a getting and accomplishing all the things that you want. And to tie it back to Psalm 23, again, the fullness, Scott said this, you know, the, he, the third point was the goodness of God realized. I think what we're trying to capture here is that the fullness we have in Christ is our reliance on God to do the things that he's prepared for us. Yeah. It's not It's not the fullness that we have in Christ is accomplishing all the things that we desire. Mm-hmm. And I think those are the two different camps that we have, we have to watch out for, mm-hmm. is that, well, I'm trusting in God for these things that I want, mm-hmm. and he's going to give those to me because that's what it means to be full in Christ. Yeah. Verse, being full in Christ means being, being with able to withstand whatever thing comes your way. Right. And not right. necessarily accomplishing all the things that you would lay out in your plan for your life. Hmm. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah, that's good. Well, thanks for joining us, you guys. And uh, you guys, thanks for this conversation today. Um, I think uh, this was kind of all over the place in some ways. We, t- we covered a lot a of topics. It's a sermon. It yeah. really was hard to cover a lot. Yeah, so. but um, but hopefully this was helpful for people, uh, for you guys as you're listening. So if you have any questions about these things, reach out to us. We would love to talk with you about it. You can reach uh, us uh, through uh, email on the website. So you can just go to stonescrossing.com and check it out there. And we'll be back next week to unpack uh, a new sermon here from Derek Allen this next week. So uh, we'll see you guys then. Have a great week and uh, see you next time on the Sunday Recap.